Western women are taught in sexuality, I have something you don't have and I'm not going to share it. My body is more beautiful than your body is. I can wear something that you don't have the audacity to wear. And so I can allure your husband, your partner, I can allure your person and you can't. I can um, be on a worship stage and be more beautiful and more compelling than you can be. Um, and so that we're set against each other in our sexuality and we're not for each other. And so Western culture does have this sense of we don't we don't talk, we don't share, we don't have a sisterhood because we're afraid of our sisterhood might take from us when we're not looking or um, what they might have that we can't offer. Dr. Christy Bauman is the author of three books, Theology of the Womb, a Brave Lament, and Coming Home. She's a psychotherapist, supervisor, and professor who focuses on the female body, sexuality, and theology. She lives in Seattle with her husband, Andrew, who I just had on the podcast recently, and they have three kids, Wilder, Selah, and River. I talked to Christy primarily about her book, Theology of the Womb, in which she has she develops a fascinating gorgeous and embodied theology of God in relationship to the menstrual cycle. And it is breathtaking. I loved this conversation. Uh, and as I've been working my way through her book, Theology of the Womb, I kept thinking to myself, the whole world needs to read this book. Uh, men, women, whoever you are, uh, this is a book that's going to expand your view of who God is, who women are, and who you are. Uh, so enjoy the conversation, and then I highly encourage you to go out and get her book, Theology of the Womb, by Christy Bauman. Well, hi, Christy. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Mm, grateful to be here. Thank you. Well, I, I want to dive right in because I don't think we have enough time for all the conversation <laughs> I want to have Fair. because um, your book, Theology of the Womb, is exactly the kind of book that I've been like looking for. I mean, it's really mm -hmm. gorgeous. It's really mm -hmm. vulnerable. And it's really, uh, as I said to you before, I just think it's what the world needs to read right now. And so <laughs> thank you for writing it. It's It's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for blessing it. And I asked you if you would be willing uh, to start off by reading, I think it's from the Book of Common Prayer, but if you would read yes. uh, A Litany to Honor Women. It's how, mostly it's how the book starts. And I, I thought, oh gosh, that is so gorgeous. And I had not read it before. So uh, mm -hmm. if you could start by reading that, that would be great. Yes. This is A Litany to Honor Women from the Book of Common Prayer. We walk in the company of the women who have gone before, mothers of the faith, both named and unnamed, testifying with ferocity and faith to the spirit of wisdom and healing. They are the judges, the prophets, the martyrs, the warriors, poets, loves, and saints in the landscape of our dreams. We walk in the company of Deborah, who judged the Israelites with authority and strength. We walk in the company of Esther, who used her position as queen to ensure the welfare of her people. We walk in the company of you, whose names have been lost and silenced, who kept and cradled the wisdom of the ages. We walk in the company of the women with the flow of blood, who audaciously sought her healing and release. We walk in the company of Mary Magdalene, who wept at the empty tomb until the risen Christ appeared. We walk in the company of Phoebe, who led an early church in the empire of Rome. We walk in the company of Perpetua of Carthage, whose witness in the third century led her to martyrdom. We walk in the company of St. Christian the Astonishing, who resisted death with persistence and wonder. We walk in the company of Julian of Norwich, who wed imagination and theology proclaiming, all shall be well. We walk in the company of Sojourner Truth, who stood against the oppression, righteously declaring in 1852, ain't I a woman? We walk in the company of the Argentine mothers of the Plaza de Maya, 
who turned their grief to strength, standing together to remember the disappeared children of war with a joyful indignation. We walk in the company of Alice Walker, who named the lavender hue of womanish strength. We walk in the company of you mothers of the faith, who teach us to resist evil with boldness, to lead with wisdom, and to heal. Amen. Oh, man. Come oh, on. So good. <laughs> so good every time. Every time. Oh, mm. yes. I love that. Thank you so much for reading that. Yes. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, your your book is sectioned out into what you call the spiritual womb cycle, uh, which is the first waiting growth, then the second creation birth, and then the third burial death. So yes. I wanted to start off with that question, like sort of how did you imagine that cycle or when did, how did you put that together? It's, it's interesting because, um, it just came out of my imagination and, and basically to walking through the church calendar. So I, um, grew up with Catholic faith and then moved to very Pentecostal faith. And so we moved away from the, uh, church calendar and the more liturgical way of being. And then in the last decade, I would say I've come back to maybe, um, more, um, liturgy and in, in my spirituality and just more what what is the calendar of the church telling us and inviting us into and so Easter is a big big thing for me I, I grew up in a family where we would dye eggs and um, only eat fish on Good Friday and then we would do this French tradition called pockpocking which is where you're cracking eggs with each other and um, there was tons of tradition around Easter and I was just sitting in church, I think it was a midnight mass actually, um, and wondering what God was telling us, but through a woman, I kept wondering, like, I know that the women are at the tomb and I know, I know the stories the Bible tells me, but literally what is my body? How am I telling the story? How am I telling a theology? What yeah. am I telling the story of God? And, and, so um, it was somewhere through like tradition that I kept wondering, like, what is God telling through the the liturgy of my own body and my and what does my body do regularly? Well, it bleeds, it attempts to birth, and um, it also has to bury. And I thought, okay, that is also what I'm learning through the story that God's telling with Jesus is what does it mean um, to 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 wait. And then to try to create and then to bury and then that cycle all over again until until we reach um, heaven, until we yeah. reach some kind of redemption. And so can I dig into that cycle and can my body help me understand that? Um, so that's kind of how I've, I fell upon it. And then, um, yeah, I was I was just desperate to know God and. God has just always been so male, and that mm -hmm. is okay. Um, and 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 I'm grateful for that too. But I needed, I needed to understand the female cycle through that process. Yeah, and that's what I find so beautiful and 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 sacred, even about this embodied way of knowing God, not only as both male and female, or encompassing all of all of the above, but but so embodied as to um, uh, think about a relationship with God through the lens of your menstrual cycle. I mean, it, it, that, is, that is gorgeous. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and it made me wonder, uh, and I read a little bit about, uh, it sounds like in that Pentecostal upbringing, you grew up in a very sort of stereotypical evangelical uh, upbringing about how you learned about sex and how you learned about your yes. body. And so talk yes. about that. Cause I think it's always helpful to frame, you know, sort of where you've, where you've gotten to based on where you've been. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it's true. I would, I assume, um, I was uh, the normal church goer in the sense of the purity movement. And so obviously we were not really talked too much about, um, menstruation in the, in the oh, church. Right. I, mean, I no never, way. Even, you kidding I me? never even had a concept of that or, you know, it's told from the pulpit ever. Right. Uh, 
and I even thinking now of the the woman with the flow of blood, mm-hmm. I am thinking like it was more the miracle that she had faith and she only needed to touch Jesus, the hem of his garment. I never really thought about what that meant to continuously bleed or mm-hmm. what that would be like for her, how desperate she was and um, what her body was costing her. I, I, those were never teased out for me from the pulpit. So I grew up pretty traditional where I was in church Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I, I loved it. I was passionate. I, I mean, I turned Jesus into my lover, my boyfriend, my savior, my everything. And so I went after it with a really hungry, passionate way of being, but I had to cut off my body because my body was in the earth, it was in the world, and Jesus was in a spiritual realm. And so my body couldn't get there, and so I couldn't allow it to. I had to stay in this spiritual, emotional relationship, and I had to cut off and sort of neuter my sexuality. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I typically, I I bought a ring for myself and I married Jesus, um, and that was in high school, and I went on into college feeling that same just um, commitment and and resolve to that relationship. And I think it wasn't until I um, lost my first son that I I literally woke up in a dream and I, uh, the dream was that I was laying there with Jesus. We were sleeping. He was my husband, I was his wife, and my womb had been ripped open and my son was gone. And I turned and his hands were bloodied but he didn't, he couldn't save it. He couldn't mm-hmm. stop it. And it was the first time that I recognized that this um, savior couldn't save me from suffering and couldn't save me from hurt. And so then I started to have to reel with my faith of, uh, I needed God to be something else. I needed Jesus to be something else than just a male husband. Um, yeah. And so, I, I I went on the journey of looking for a female deity in a sense, or more female attributes of God. Um, I just needed those. Yeah, I, I, it and I love that you went on the journey to find that. And and even as I read some of your stories about as a teenager driving 500 miles to go attend some, you know, speaking in tongues conference or something like that. Right. I I was like, Oh man, she is so dedicated. She's so passionate. And so, Oh, I was was so in love, you know, I was in, I was in love with this idea of being just swept up in something other, you know, in a euphoric spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. and I do love how you look at spiritual growth through the lens of um, a continual cycle that that repeats and patterns over and over again. I follow the rhythms of the church calendar as well, and I I um, have done so for about the last ten years, like you. And I, you know, so here we are in Lent, you know, and so we have to right. grapple with with Lent again. And and there's a part of me that feels like that like life is just it's like a corkscrew that keeps either going up or going down, but like that we hit the same vein over and over again. Uh, right. Right. Typically we hit the same vein over and over again, just in deeper ways. And, um, so, but it's also, it strikes me as rare for someone to be as passionate as you were as a teenager Mm -hmm. and to, to, continue that passion, but have it be a grown up passion. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like so many people sort of flame out and give up because they realize Jesus is my boyfriend is just, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, like I can't live that way. And you can't really. Um, right. But right. so like, who were some of the influences in your life that helped you to keep growing and keep expanding rather than giving up? Well, um, Interest, interesting enough is that when you say that, I think it's true for the white evangelical church, uh, uh, we are not accustomed to suffering. Um, in fact, suffering then makes us want to turn away and, yeah. and rebel or just leave the faith. And so, um, yeah, it does feel rare in that sense. And yet it's been, um, it's actually been people of color who have mm-hmm. really, helped me understand and, and, and mothered me and mentored me in understanding 
the a suffering theology. Um, and it's not just a prosperity gospel. And again, not that that part isn't, not that there isn't truth to that, but I think the only way I can handle long suffering is by looking at people who've done it before me and ask, how did you, how, how did you do that? And I, I, they've, they've gone to, um, I always talk about, uh, Nikki Giovanni over on the East coast at Virginia tech. She, she talks about, it must've been a woman, um, in the middle passage in the slave, um, ships who settled her people. And she didn't know the language because there was probably so many languages going on, but that she began to hum and she began to settle her people because they were fear, they were losing everything in that moment. And um, there's something of a mother that can find a resonating sound in her body and she can just ground Mm -hmm. uh, the fretting heart. And so Mm -hmm. I think my spiritual fretting heart needed to be grounded and the only place it felt comforted or was by wise sages that had suffered long before I had ever started and they were okay. And so it was finding, for me, it was finding women um, who were able to mother me and who I knew had grieved um, atrocities bigger than I had. And um, so that was, that was helpful. Um, I would even say, even with, um, you know, we're here in Seattle and, and the coronavirus has just, right. you know, sparked a ton of fear and anxiety. And um, even when I look to my own mother, her anxiety, she tries so hard to mother. But I remember my grandmother saying, my grandmother's still alive, but she says, I've lived through seven end of the worlds. Yeah. And, oh, it just grounds me. Like, there's my mother of old telling me, like, there there's been so many times that we have said this is the end of the world and we we continue to live and so will we just settle settle ourselves settle ourselves in what is most true which is we are not in control and something else is and mm-hmm. can we in a sense submit to that and trust that it's going to be okay yeah um so mm-hmm. I, I don't know if i answered the question of who has actually mentored me through that but i would say um definitely well, I think you did suffering. Yeah. 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 And that makes a lot of sense based on, I think your understanding, um, even of blood in the book. So I want to read a quote and then I want to ask that you wrote, uh, and then I want to ask you just to talk more about blood and, and, and how that Mm -hmm. just is the driving force of your understanding. I think, um, our bleeding you write is an act of sacrifice. One that offers an invitation to understand the power and the importance of creating and loving. Mm. And when I read that, I thought, uh, wow, she gets something that I think many of us don't. Mm -hmm. So talk more about your understanding of blood. And then even if you want to riff more on that, you know, every once in a while, like someone reads me something, well, very rarely someone reads me something that I wrote, but if, if they do every once in a while, I go, Oh wow! I don't I don't even remember writing that, but that's good, <laughs> right? So maybe it's like that for you, but um, <clears throat> but riff on that quote and talk mm-hmm. more about your understanding of of the concept of bleeding. Yeah, I, it's, it's so sweet that you find and and read that back to me because it's true. I I can't say that I know remember writing those words, but man, I feel it when you read it. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, I I know that <laughs> I yeah. know that within me and blood. Um, it's interesting to look at male the way men like I can walk in and my husband will be watching Braveheart or something where it's just bloody and the way they come around um, warfare and, and even death is there's it feels like blood is not honored. And then I, on the other hand, um, have to go to the store every month and find tampon or, you know, some people, women now are using diva cups and they're collecting their own blood because it's, it's more safe and sanitary. So we've got this, this gender, um, interpretation of blood that is very, very, very different. And, um, so, so I would say with that is when I actually lean into it, there's something really, really beautiful to me about blood being shed now. And I think especially it's been after birth for sure. 
um, because it was the cost to then bring life into this place. But I would even say in a, in a monthly cycle, blood has been something that calls me to just be human. It brings me back to that I'm alive and that my heart is beating and my body is alive and doing something. It's tra- it's it's cycling through something and it's very much awake and alive because I am shedding blood and that that just um, it's it starts to feel powerful. It also is a little bit intimidating because you're losing your own blood and you think like, wow, I must be really weak also um, mm. in this moment. So there's just this this tenderness that is so actually powerful. And I think of the bleeding heart of Jesus and it's a very Catholic picture, but where um, Christ is holding open his chest and there's a heart that has the crown of thorns around it yeah. and there's blood dripping from it. And there's something about the tenderness of that, that is, um, it leads me to want to surrender. And there's something about the strength of it that leads me to feel comforted. Like you are actively have a bleeding heart. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that is protecting me. That is protecting me from my own anxiety and my own fear, my own death. And, um, there's something about just stopping and looking at that blood that, uh, it mystifies me yeah. and, um, and it's costly. That's the thing. It's costly. And I think in this day and age, I don't want to look too long at anything that's costly. Mm. I just don't, I don't. And, and yet it's a requirement for there to be life. And I, and, and I think it's, it's saying death has to happen. So life can happen. But I think we try to just move through the death part so quickly. Um, and blood just brings us back to that reminder. And if we can push in long enough to look at it and take it in, it's our life source. And, um, yeah. So to, to, to bear it, um, is such an invitation of, of cost and, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there's something about, um, I mean, you keep, you keep mentioning the sort of the, the weakness and the humanness of it mixed alongside the, the, the vitality and strength, right? I mean, like blood is, is how we survive. It's obviously, but it's also, it's how we would die. Um, and, uh, so, wow. Um, get into the sort of, you know, the shame culture around menstruation, having your period, even still probably really, I mean, all the movies, you know, you see all the girls there in the bathroom and then they come out ashen face and everyone's sort of embarrassed and all the guys run from the room and stuff. Um, so I mean, talk a little bit about that, but then, but then if you would transition into, you know, the whole red tent culture, um, of the scriptures and, you know, being banished for seven days, but going out in community, not alone, like right. go there. Cause I think that's so powerful. Yeah. Um, so I still, when I go to check out and I'm buying tampons or pads, I still look to see if the store clerk is a male or female mm-hmm. yeah. and I will always choose the female, um, mm-hmm. store clerk to go to. And it, it's so much so that even now I push myself to go to the male clerk just because I want to break the stigma. Yeah. Um, but I would say like, that's just still alive and well, a well for me. And so that is happening. And, um, and, and I, I, I think the idea is that sure there is shame that something's wrong. And yet I want to say like our good, good bodies that are doing something so right that are keeping humankind going. Um, yeah. my, I mean, my friend called me the other day and she said, we were watching a football game. My boys are watching it and, uh, there's a tampon commercial and they turn and they're like, that is so gross. How dare that? Why would they put that on during a football game? <laughs> and, I, yeah. and she said, that's how you got here. Like, yeah. yep. why would you even, why would you think that's gross? And so it's interesting that we can see people mulling down with machine guns, someone dying and killing, you know, hordes of people and on a commercial, but we see a tampon commercial and a young boy would think that's disgusting. So obviously we need to help our boys and our girls reframe what's actually happening because it's such a warrior like thing to actually bleed so that you can continue life. I mean, yeah. continue actually existence on this earth. And right. 
Um, but I will say that it is, it's an isolating thing. And again, historically it was done together and in Eastern culture, it is done as a way of pride and uh, there's celebration around it. And and I go into that culturally, there is a lot of celebration. Men will even come and pay homage to the girl who has the umbrella over her and is walking mm-hmm. in the street because they will know that she's on her, it's her first period and she's now menstruating mm-hmm. and there's a gratitude. They give money, they give flowers. There's a, a gratitude for their contribution to society mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, I just wish, I, I so wish we had that kind of thinking around it. And I feel like women in that isolation process have lost knowing where they come from. And and so I do get into this in the book is birthright. Men know their birthright from a biblical standpoint, because that's all that's written mm-hmm. in the Bible mm-hmm. is where men have come from and their lineage. But we don't tell the story of women. We don't have a lineage for women. So I think when we're bleeding alone, we forget why we're bleeding right. and we forget why it matters. And we're not in this red tent collected together telling stories. We don't have grandmothers telling us of the time that they almost lost a child, but then it, w- it was saved, or the time that in birth they almost lost their own lives. We don't have the stories of um, beauty or of creating going on. And so a woman no longer knows her birthright. And that's that's really dangerous in a society, especially a society where patriarchy might objectify women. Then you really are erasing who they are outside of what they look like. Right. And so that that's why I think the, the menstrual tent and the red tent is such a, a lost practice that has really cost the women in our society a, a lot because they don't they don't know who to ask and they don't know that they are not alone and mm. you don't know how to learn to be mothers and learn to be warriors and learn to be women who navigate that cycle of life and death and life again. And they, I think anxiety and, and depression and helicopter mothering and mm-hmm. um, all of that is just taking over rampantly because we no longer know where we came from. Um, or how to do this practice of all. We don't know what to do with our blood, and therefore we don't know how to teach the other. And and, and it's really, to me, I mean, that's, I could go a long time talking about that because I'm really passionate about women understanding their bodies and, and listening to their voice because I do believe the image of God is in each of them, and our world is literally dying because they're not speaking and they're not living into their bodies. Um, yeah. So. I could go on. Well, I let's thought. okay. I want to. I want to go there because you you go there in your, in your book, and I think it's it's so helpful. So, like, I mean, I really do want to ask you about like, let's talk about breasts, about clitoris, and and about yes. uh, and and why. Like, I love the the piece that you wrote about if the clitoris. Uh, well, I'll I'll let you say it, but <laughs> um, okay. because I think still there's so much shame, body shame. And so to sort of unpack, here's the, here's a theology of Mm -hmm. your breasts, your clitoris, your body that is redemptive. Please go there because the world needs this. Okay. And so what I would say is I get so passionate. Like I would say, I love that God created our breasts because our breasts are reproducing life, right? Even if we just take breast milk and what it does and how it sustains and feeds a, a life force and creates a life. And so wait, 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 wait. tell the story real quick of when you're, when one of your sons asked you like, how much milk can you remember that story? (laughs) Oh, I totally remember that story. I was actually, I feel like Chris Farley right now. Did you, do you remember that time? (laughs) (laughs) No, go, go. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'll tell that story. Um, um, I was breastfeeding my daughter and, okay. and we were just laying down for naps and talking and my son is there watching and he's like, maybe I, I'm going to guess he's three or four and he, but he's drinking a bottle of milk. So I'm sure he was three and he me like how many, and he's like a little bit of a mathematician now at, at mm-hmm. seven. I'm like, Oh yeah, he loves math. Mm-hmm. But he was like, how much milk can your body make? And so then I jump into my math. I'm like counting ounces and like trying to explain it. And um, and then he was like, no, I mean like 
all of it, like how much, cause I basically said, Oh, I could, you know, I can make a bottle of milk right now. Like your sister can get a bottle of milk from my breast. And he's like, no, no. I mean, how much has your body made for me? And like, he was really like wanting to know. And it was crazy when I started thinking about vintage size cups at Starbucks <laughs> and it was thousands. Yeah. And I was like, that is miraculous. I mean, it really felt like a miracle. I had this moment of just sheer awe of, of myself and my breast. And I'll tell you how that's helpful today because after you've breastfed three kids and your breasts do not look like they did prior <laughs> to yeah. breastfeeding three kids, there's something where I look at their, their exhaustion and I bless them and I say, oh, of course, what beauty you've done. Like, look at how you have cared for our children. Mm-hmm. And um, and I like I bless you. Like you are still you're there. Their sagging is not bad anymore. Right. Right. It isn't. It is actually a war wound. It's mm-hmm. actually a scar that mm-hmm. I want to touch and be touched and seen for their glory. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think, you know, again, we don't even stay that long with it. We want to get our breasts, um, filled or perked up or changed mm-hmm. and, and we want to erase and not that that's bad either. I'm not a- against that, but what I'm saying is, can we bless the work that our body's doing? And I ask my clients often, if your breast were to tell me the story of how it's been to live on your body, what would mm-hmm. they say? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really important question because they have been, you know, sometimes like, um, tightened, like people have wrapped their breasts. So they're made smaller. Mm -hmm. People have pushed up their breasts. So they're made bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, their breasts have been touched against their will. Their breasts have been touched with their invitation. And so, but what would they tell me the story has been, how have they been treated? And usually how have they been treated by you and what you think of them? Um, right. So yeah, it's, um, that's, so that's where I would go with the breast. I, I just think our, that's a reproductive part. So the body theology is that God created something of our bodies that means to satiate. And, mm-hmm. and we can even go into song of songs and just talk about satiation. And that's mm-hmm. the Hebrew of what the breast's intent was. And so is it to satiate the lover? Is it to satiate the child is it to satiate the beholder, which is me. Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like? And um, so there, there's this gift, I feel like, that God gave. And then we move down to the clitoris, which is not a life producing organ, but it is a pleasure producing. And that just blows my mind. Right. Is that now you have this tiny tissue that is the size of an eraser head and it has more nerve endings than the head of a penis. And to me, it's like, Lord, what were you doing? (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mystified like God. And, and it's the same, it's the same reaction that I want to just be so thankful and suffering has made that hard. I think, right. We want to what do we do with pleasure? And and God, what was your point? And why did you give a woman a sexual organ that um, yeah, doesn't? The, yeah, has no other purpose other than pleasure. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I I love that, and it makes me so curious about our God. And I, it's the same way I um I tell this story often. I walked into the bathroom. My son was touching his penis, and he it was erect. And he said, "Mom, look," and I said. Babe, I know I don't have one of those, but how amazing that God gave you that. And what do you think God was doing? Why do you think God gave you that thing? And it was just so fun. It was such a fun conversation, but I want us to have that same conversation as women to be allowed to talk about that is crazy that God thought this is important. This is important that a woman have it, have this clitoris on her body. Like what is God telling us the story of? Yeah, I am mystified and yeah. so curious, and we haven't even started the conversation. And why not? Right, why not? right. Um, and I think that's the subject of many, 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 many books and many, many yeah. films yeah. and songs. And right, yes. Um, yes. And it has to do with patriarchy, and it has to do with yeah. um, the way we treat each other, and the way we are afraid of anything yeah. that is, um, well, I mean, we're, we still have this puritanical 
ethos, I think. Um, maybe we're moving out of it finally, maybe, maybe. But I think books like yours is going to help us have conversations like this, yeah. you know, um, where it won't be odd for a podcast to say the word penis or clitoris or, you know right. what I mean? Right. Like, like some people are going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they, they, they said clitoris like 17 I times. Um, I know, but yet we're grown adults and yeah. I feel like God entrusted us with this. Like it, in a sense, it wasn't like, it's not like God is ashamed. No. I mean, I, I don't think God would have given, given us penises and clitoris if there was shame involved. And a clitoris shows that it wasn't just about procreation. Right. And that is so fascinating to me. It was about pleasure. And in a world where objectification and sexual abuse and rape has stole so much, has stolen so much, I just think that is so interesting that the church should be the number one people on what God intended for uh, with pleasure in sexuality because it has power. I know it does. And um, we're, I mean, we're, on our watch, there is so much harm being done, and we are not exploring what the opposite side was, what the intention was, what the spiritual power we as believers were given. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I agree 100%. Absolutely. Uh, okay. I Gosh, there's so many things I want to ask you. I wish we had seven hours. Um, so you... Um, and this is a little bit back to the red tent, but I think there's more to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but you talk about rites of passage. And so I think there was, I, I, and I can't remember where, but you wrote about this one culture where, you know, when the girl gets their first period, they're sort of brought out into um, this sort of celebration where women dance and they sort of, they even show them um, three different Such positions to, yes. where they would experience more pleasure. Um, anyway, go go there to the rites of passage and and even talk about some different cultures who do it differently than, than maybe Western Christian culture does. Sure. And so that, if you, if you follow this cycle too, for women is that if we don't know our birthright, then we definitely are not going to know, um, how to understand and, and use pleasure as it was intended and in creation and co-creation. And then we're also not going to know how to leave a legacy. Um, and so so if we just dug down into rites of passages, rites of passages are those moments that we're, we go from younger to older. It's maturation. It's that experience, that physical ritual that happens where we touch it and see it and know it and experience it. And then all of a sudden we're older. We can't undo what now we have walked through. And that is true in Eastern cultures. I mean, it's, definitely in Africa, the sexual positions are, are shown in a sense of they're trying to keep women to understand pleasure and sexuality. And that's pretty important, especially when sex for a lot of women is not enjoyable or doesn't continue to be enjoyable. And with the cycle of the womb, as the womb starts to, to go to sleep, when we reach menopause, um, our sexual cycle looks so different than a man's. And so if there's not pleasure involved then and and it was only you know the idea was procreation was the only point right. then we really are doing a disservice to everyone to to relationship to intimacy and so again a rite of passage is where are where are people teaching us something different and western women are taught in sexuality i have something you don't have and i'm not going to share it Mm. My body is more beautiful than your body is. I can wear something that you don't have the audacity to wear. And so I can allure your husband, your partner, mm. I can allure your person and you can't. I can um, be on a worship stage and be more beautiful and more compelling than you can be. Um, and so that we're set against each other in our sexuality and we're not for each other. And so Western culture does have this sense of we don't we don't talk, we don't share, we don't have a sisterhood because we're afraid of what our sisterhood might take from us when we're not looking or um, what they might have that we can't offer. And that is um, I mean, that's just, that's heartbreaking and just, and just true. Um, that's how, again, objectification or, or billboards and advertisement has set us up is that our bodies matter and how we look matters more than what we bring. 
to the table. And um, Eastern cultures are less like that. And I think when you see cultures that are older, so it's the it was the grandmothers in the villages that were showing the younger women who were coming to get married these sexual positions, or were showing daughters a way into understanding their bodies um, when they were reaching uh, menstruation. And so I, there's something of the passing down that we don't see that, especially because we've come through the purity movement or, you know, again, my mother would be appalled to listen to this. Like she will, she won't (laughs) listen to this because she's always like, Christy, why, why are you talking Mm. about this? I mean, there's so much embarrassment and yet I have a daughter and I do not want her to live through this silence and what I lived through by myself. Yeah. Um, because then I turn on my body when it's not good enough. And instead of it learning how to celebrate and understand the wonder of it, and I turn on my body when it doesn't look like what I'm seeing around me. And so when I can see, um, I was, uh, the, this woman, I was at literally speaking at an event in Africa in a village, and the woman who came up behind me to talk was talking, and I saw that um, an African grandmother was holding her baby and the baby started crying and she literally put her breast, she just put her nipple in the baby's mouth. Hmm. This like her, her beautiful sagging mm-hmm. empty breast that you knew were empty. And, and the woman turned to me and was like, is that okay? And I was like, yep, it's fine. Keep yep. talking. She's like, yep. what about AIDS? What about, and I was just like, this is that is, that's a pacifier. That's a, mm-hmm. that's satiation. I mean, yep. that, that's what they culturally know. And you just have never seen it. Um, I mean, I would freak out if my grandmother put her breast in my child. <laughs> now, I mean, I just would. That yeah. sounds that sounds so ludicrous. And yet this woman was just teaching us all. Yeah. Like, that's what we do for each other. So yeah. you can be up there speaking. I will comfort your child. Um, and I just, that concept is so foreign in a Western culture. And it, and we're desperate. We're looking for our mothers of old. Hmm. Well, you just said so much right there, so many profound things. But I think I just want to highlight and call out what you said about our culture sets women against each other. And I agree. Like when you said that, I felt deeply in my spirit. That's absolutely tragic, but true. <laughs> and then you also said, and then women end up turning against their own bodies. Uh, which I think when you said that again, <clears throat> I've, I, there's something deep inside my spirit that resonated and said, that is what happens. That mm-hmm. is true. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this idea of communally sharing stories and sharing wisdom across generations, women to women and even women to boys and women to men. I mean, I think boys yes. are so... Like we need to be mothered by strong women as well. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Yes, um, yes. And so, so like I, I love what you're saying and, and how you're saying it with such profound simplicity, but also it's just, it's so true. Um, so like, do you, I, I like, do you have thoughts about, um, like, are there trainings that you have that you're giving women about how to walk more toward communal uh, understandings and away from shame? Like, like, where do you go with that? Yeah. I love that. You're like, do you have thoughts? I'm like, Oh, Steve, the thoughts I have, if I could type, write them all down to collect them. I have so many thoughts. Um, and, and I think it's the same plight of a mother when her children are all asking her for something, I see the need mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just one person and I'm so limited. And so the, the way I went through writing this book, I put questions at the end of each chapter because my hope is that women would do this together in yeah. groups yeah. or in church groups. And I have a couple on the East coast that I've just have been with and they've started just the women have started going through the book and, and answering the questions together. And I've ha- I've gotten so many crazy emails like, we just shared our stories of our first period, and I've never told that story. I've never even thought about that story. And now I feel so much closer to the women in my church that I've been in church with for seven years because I know their period story. And um, we're, now we're going into the scar stories, and mm-hmm. we're telling the scars on our bodies, and we're telling the stories about that. And so... 
I mean, as much as I would love to, and I, and I want to, and I, I am doing a lot of these groups, I also firmly believe that it's in all of us, that it's in these women. They, they just, yeah. I think you just need to start speaking. And that's yeah. the hard part is I think there's something that has silenced women. And so then they, like I said, turn against themselves. But when we start to speak, we realize that we're just like each other, that we, we just need each other and that we're humbled by the fact that we're human and that we bleed. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and we need the other so that we're not alone. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Well, I, <clears throat> I, I do want to speak directly to folks who are listening right now. Yeah. Uh, Theology of the Womb is available wherever you buy books. And uh, Christy provides, she's right, she provides questions after each chapter um, that are questions like, when was your first period? And, um, and it, it's so, like, I think it's so accessible. Um, it's, it's a deeply theological book. And it has so many um, of Christy's stories in it about her mothering and about her just all kinds of so it, it this this would be a book to grab and and read with a group of people definitely it and, just came out on audio so i'm pretty proud of that oh, because nobody great. has time to read so audible feels like an a nice segue to um to just at least get it in your get it happening because i know to actually sit down and read a book is really yeah. hard these days especially if you have kids um oh that's so great do you do you read it do you do the recording no. So that, so that's another thing I don't have, I just did not have the time. Yeah. And, um, so I was really grateful that I could hire that out. And, um, so I think my, my dream would be to one day go back and do that, but there's so many other books that I'm trying to write right now that I don't know that that'll happen. So I don't actually read it, which I'm sad about, but I do offer, I was going to tell you, I do offer a six week phone. I do phone sessions for six weeks to do voice work with women. And so, um, I just take them through five different templates where they write their own story. And then we go through and we thematically look for what, um, what, what God and what evil has wanted to stop them from saying and wanted and what God has desired them to say. And so, um, I, that's also something I offer where you can just actually in six weeks kind of frame, in your own story, who you are, what you've lived through and who you're becoming. So anyway, that is fantastic. So I'm going to provide the link to that on the show notes, but let's just say it out loud too. Like where, where would we, where would someone go to, to sign up for that? Yeah. So, uh, just my website is where you would find it. And, um, I think it's under offerings, um, in, or, I'm so glad, Steve, you asked because I really don't know where you can find me. But I'll um, find it. I'll put it on the I show know notes. No, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, that's what I'm like too. Half the time, I'm like, I, it's somewhere. Just go it's to somewhere. Stevens.com/slash somewhere. Um, but I will put it on this episode show notes. So just you guys uh, search Stevens.com/slash show notes, and then if you're listening to this many, many months later. Just type in Christy Bauman or Theology of the Womb in the search field right. down in the bottom of the podcast, and you'll, you okay. will be led right to the show notes where you'll get the link to purchase Theology of yeah. the Womb, either on audio or Kindle or um, yeah. in book form. Um, book form. And is there – so go ahead. Well, I was just going to throw out that, I, again, I would love if women need me to be that creative um, ask and to use my psychological um, education. That I, I love that. I want to. But what I would say is it's honestly, it's a book that should be done with someone and yeah. shared together. Like I, I honestly think if your best friend that lives on the other side of the States or something, you could do it together where there's a phone call and you just go through those questions and you have conversation or you meet with women in your church or women in your community that you want relationship with. But every time you're with, you only have conversation about your kid's school pickup or right. so I, I, I think it, I'm trying to make it as accessible as possible because I honestly think it's in the sharing We'll, we will find if we just come to the red tent, mm -hmm. there is so much waiting for us, so much waiting for us. And so it's just that ask of, will you join me, um, in this journey? And, um, 
I hope that that's, you know, enough or at least an invitation to awaken you and relationship with someone else um, or with a, a group of women, friends. Yeah. That is a great invitation. And I hope many people take you up on it. And um, I'm still working my way through the book. And I even want to say, um, I might be considered a rare kind of male that's interested <laughs> in that stuff. I hope I'm becoming less and less rare. But um, I think men too, men need to read this book as well. Um, men that are curious about um, about the a fuller aspect of who God is and who we are as humans mm -hmm. and who women are that are our friends and our sisters and our wives and our daughters and all that stuff. Right. So I, I think it's an important book. Steve, I plug it for men. I mean, I know it's <clears throat> maybe it just doesn't come across as a book that a man should like be walking around with. And yet I've had a couple of men, um, even older men call me after reading it and just say, I'm so thankful because I was taught to look with an objective object mm -hmm. object buying um, lens at women. And so all I've known to do is sexualize them. Mm -hmm. And what this book allows you to do is be curious as almost like brings you back to being a young boy again, where girls were scary or dangerous. Um, and you can just find out what we're really about, maybe without all of the confusion of sexuality and um, the arousal, because I think the arousal gets in the way. And then all of a sudden you don't know how to be with the other or be curious about the other because our arousal cycles are so different and, and men are, we're not coached and mothered through that. They were either taught to emotionally take care of their mothers mm -hmm. um, or to just distance themselves from any kind of sexuality. And, um, and that, that's so confusing. And I feel like men don't have safe places to be curious about women, especially in this day and age. And so I, that's what I'm hopeful for is that the book can be a, a safe place to be curious as a man and about the female and about the female parts of God um, also. And so that's my plug for why I think men could benefit from it. I love it. I agree. <laughs> well, everybody, Christy Bauman, Theology of the oh. Womb, um, pick it up, read it, read it with people. Uh, Christy, thank you so much. This was so good. Good for me. Uh, I know the listeners are going to freak out because it's just so good. What you are bringing to the world is so good. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. It was so fun. So grateful. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together. <laughs>